All right, good morning, good morning, River City. It's so good to see you guys. Good morning to everyone who's watching on our live stream. If you are new or tuning in for the very first time, we would love to give you a proper welcome. So if you just wanna drop your name and where you're tuning in from, we can do that for you. So for today's Sunday, we are in our rhythm of creativity. So you'll see um, on, your, on your chairs that there are some questions. You might have gotten a hand-painted card this morning. Maybe the flow of service will be a little different. But today we are just leaning on some creativity and new ways to interact with God this morning. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then also, we are going to move into our lectionary prayer this morning. If you are new and you're not used to lectionary prayer, it is a way that we are united with the universal church. It goes over the Bible in three years, and we have passages that we read daily as like corporate. So today, our passage is going to come from Psalm 25. If you guys would stand with me as we read the word of God. And just take a second here if you need to, just to take a deep breath. Exhale whatever you brought in from the week. We're about to move into just being in the presence of God and just being in rest with him. So the psalmist says, To you, O Lord, I lift my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exult over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantingly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and for you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. And good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All of the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his degrees. And so God, your word just says how fatherly you are, how nurturing and how invested you are in us. God, we thank you that you are a God that goes so far beyond seeing us and that you you decide to live your life entwined with us. That you change things, that mountains move when we pray, that things are healed when we say it in your name. We thank you that you are a God who is active and you have your hands deep in the mess. Thank you for loving us and calling us your beloved. For your steadfast love and your mercy. And so Lord, I just pray this morning that everyone under the sound of my voice begins to see that version of you. The God that is rich in love and acceptance and understanding and kindness. The God that is cheering us on and instructing us and molding us and shaping us into the version that he always knew we were. We thank you that you meet us in this place, that you don't leave us in our unbrokenness and our messiness, but that you reach in and restore. And so this morning we just sit in the light of your delight and your presence. We anticipate the ways that you are going to move and speak to us, and in return, God, we give you our highest praise. We exalt you because you are good and so worthy of our praise. And in your holy name we pray, amen. As we move in the prayers of the people, <clears throat> as you would just take, take a moment and hold in your mind something that you're thankful for this week while we decide to ask God for some things. I want you to take a moment and just think through all the things that happened this week. You saw a lot of bad news, 
but there were also some good things that happened in your life. And I ask that you hold that in your mind as we move into this prayer. <clears throat> so for the Universal Church, its members and its mission, I ask that we, God, that you pray a blessing of safety and security around the missionaries that are around the world, particularly those that are connected to the Fenners, the Harveys, um, in Budapest, China, Japan, South America, and Greece. Um, and for the world and all those that are in it, um, we pray particularly for the people of Myanmar as they struggle against another military coup. We pray for a cessation of violence and a real freedom for the people in all the nations of the world, especially there. Uh, for the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, we ask for the continued health and safety of the first responders, healthcare workers, and teachers. We ask for the mental health, rest restoration of mental health for the parents, caregivers, and children who are contending with an amount of stress and isolation that is unique in this generation. And for the concerns of this local community, God, and those who are suffering within it, we pray a special blessing on Tansy, who is contending with a relapse of MS. We pray for Jessica Harvey's grandmother as she recovers from hip surgery this week. And we pray for the White Souls as they await news from the doctors. We ask for your peace in the waiting. And for the comfort and, and blessing on the family of Brian Keonis, we ask that you find peace in a tragic situation. And God, as we move through this worship experience, keep us ever mindful that we enter this place and this hour to worship, that we might depart into the world in your service. Make us willing, worthy, and able to meet the needs of the moment and bring us safely together once more at this place next week. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. How's everybody? Good? Feels a little quiet in here. That's okay. We're going to start this portion a little differently. I'm going to pray about a thing I'm kind of sensing, and then we're going to give you some space to reflect. We've not done this, I don't think at the start of a message before. But I was, um, as I prepared this week, I was really moved by what I feel like is the heart of God for what he's asking from us as a body and as people. I just think as a Christian people, I think this is what he's asking us. But I wanna just pray about a thing I'm sensing first, and then I'm gonna ask that you create space on your own. These will be up on the screen in a second. You can pull these up, Bill. And they might be on your seat. Um, look around you. It says, questions for a desert season. And while I don't want to oppose upon you, impose upon you a desert season, of course, that's not my goal today, is to say, even though we start Lent, I do not desire that you have a desert season in a sense that you are alone in it. I do desire that you have a sense of Jesus with you in a season where he clarifies, which I think is what Lent is about, if I'm, if I'm being honest. But I'm going to start today with reflection, because I think the ground that Jesus really wants to get at is not the behavioral ground, which is the kind of overflow of the things that motivate it, but the ground of your heart, the areas we don't even know how to access without the Spirit of God, the areas that we keep hidden because we've been taught that it's good to keep those things hidden, the areas that you struggle with, the areas about identity. Do you believe that you are blessed and chosen? The areas of shame, the things from the inside. And so I wanna create some space as we start today for you to reflect, did you guys get a card when you walked in? It said something on it? To say what, what did it say, you are the unbeloved? You are my beloved. So I want you to reflect on this for a moment and then I just want you to read through these questions and I want you to ask that the Spirit of God would highlight in you where he would like to speak into you today, what he is asking of you today. And so this could be awkward, that's okay. It's good. We need to reclaim some spaces where you don't just come and receive a thing and then move about your week, but that you're invited into what it is to be the body of Christ, which is a deeply formed people who know how to navigate conversations about the real complexities of life by starting with where they're at. To embody this gospel, this is where we live. This is where we're asked to live. This is why Jesus went to the desert, why the Spirit of God led him into a desert season was because he needed to have some things clarified in that inner space. And then out of that, things like ministry would come, or calling, or vocation, or spouse, or all of that. But it started in deeply personal places because that's where the work needs to begin. And so just for a moment, these guys are gonna do something melodic and beautiful and artistic 
creative, fancy, maybe not fancy. Just take some time. Allow yourself to kind of navigate through these questions and, and then I'll, I'll circle back up in a second. We'll start. I appreciate you guys taking some space for a moment. I recognize how awkward that is. I faced it personally last week. I do a thing twice a year where I go into the woods by myself to a cabin and do, I don't, I would, I used to call it a prayer thing, but a lot of, a lot of cases I'm not praying. I'm kind of just being present with God, which is, I guess, kind of praying. But I, I kind of recognize as you enter those spaces, the kind of things that surfaces. I love the question what will I do if my own wild beasts surface? There's something about that question. As we'll read in a second in this text, Jesus is in the, the wilderness and there are wild beasts and angels there, which I think is an interesting thing to say about his journey into the wilderness. But I've recognized that as I surface into these places in my own life, it's very clear that there are wild beasts about that would rather not be locked into any type of space that could help create a an avenue to hear the voice of God, to distinguish what the voice of God sounds like and what he doesn't sound like, to draw me away from self and more into selflessness. We don't like to be locked up with those voices. 
I, I felt it the first night I went when I had this insatiable desire to just consume sports. Like I'm in a cabin, I'm there, just like every good cabin, there's every cable channel in the world. And just my favorite team was playing and it was so hard for me to be present and just sit. And then I, I made a decision the morning after that, all right, I'm gonna try silence and solitude like, like I, I believe Jesus experienced it and not like I've done it before. So I set a timer for 30 minutes and I sat outside on a porch and looked at a lake and it was kind of drizzling and it was beautiful. And I recognized that I didn't need to accomplish anything in this space, that this was a space about just being present. I didn't need to have a nugget I got from God as I left it. I needed to just be present with God and with nature. And I found myself dreading that the alarm would go off. And then I just spent the last 10 minutes like waiting for the alarm to go off, like it's gonna go off. So I had to walk back up because I had traveled down to the lake, turn the alarm off, try to jump back in. And I didn't even experience what I would say are massive takeaways in that time, except for when I got to church last weekend, I was different. I recognized that the result of me deciding to do this, this almost feels like I'm bragging about my spiritual practices, which is not the goal of this. That's not one of the spiritual disciplines, bragging about your spiritual disciplines, just for clarity. But I got here and I was, I was giddy. I was almost childlike in ways that I haven't been in a long time. And it felt almost like I needed to apologize for how goofy I was being. But I, I believe it to just be the fruit of what happens when you are present with God without an agenda, when you were with your father and how he wants to speak into us and use us. And that's not our culture. And so today we've been talking about equipping the saints. This will be an emphasis this whole year. It's from Ephesians 4. We've already traveled through kind of the outward work and the inward work of racial reconciliation, how that will continue to be a, a point of our desire to see God continue to use us. We've talked about our city kids and developing our kids and how important that is. And we've also talked about groups, which you heard again from Kara, and how important it is in community to practice together, in community to seek God together. I actually don't believe that the word is, is what the word's intended to be without the spirit of God in community. I think there's ways in which we can even read the word that aren't helpful because we have our own lens. And when God brings a community together that's submissive to the spirit of God, something different happens in the text. That's why it's called an alive text. That's why when we read it, it's sharper than any two-edged what? Not to harm anyone else, though, guys. Calm down. It's to be used on yourself. Amen? That's painful. But it cuts even through the bone. Allows us to see and sense what God is doing. And so today, it is Lent and the start of Lent. And this is the first Sunday of Lent. And Lent is a time in which the Christian church strives towards Easter by fasting and mimicking what God did through Jesus when he was sent into the desert. So this is important to understand that this is not about a, if you do these things, you are blessed with Easter. It's not that. It's a way for the Christian church to recognize how Jesus and what Jesus did. And every day was not Easter for Jesus, even though every day for us is Easter. And is Easter. I just said Easter. Let's do it, guys. New words. New words today. Amen. So there's parts of the story that we don't like to interact with because it makes us bump into things that we don't like to interact with. And that's what this does. And so for today, if I could utterly shake you to say a few things to you and shake you so deeply that the core you hears it, I would do that for everyone in this room. If I could shake you so much that you would recognize that in some ways you're sedated and living in a half-dead state and that Jesus has intended you to live in a much more alive state one that would let you be called and identified as a son and daughter, but also be sent into places that are difficult where you don't get what you want. And to recognize that the Spirit of God is the one that is leading you into both spaces. If I could utterly shake you today and tell you, you are the beloved of God, and this is not up for discussion. It is not up for discussion. You are the beloved of God. That is not something that we fight for it is only something we try and understand and walk in. If I could utterly shake you and tell you that Christ is drawing you into a life that is so much more full than any type of sedated, half-dead state that we've been living, and that it would be so worth whatever it took to seek him and be in that space, if I could utterly shake you so that you could experience this type of life, if I could utterly shake you and say, don't return to the things, don't go back, right? move forward into the new life in Christ. I would do that, but it wouldn't be appropriate. 
for a lot of ways for me to walk around and shake all of you. So I have to trust that the Spirit of God has already been doing that. That the Spirit of God that hovered over waters and even is in this space right now is shaking you in ways that I could never shake you. Shaking past the facades that are there and that we are good at putting on and masks in this even haven't helped us. Because we have two masks on now, the one that we present to people and the one that keeps us safe from COVID, right? If I could utterly shake you so that you would know his invitation is present in this room and that it's final and complete, I would do that, but I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna read you this text and then we're gonna talk for a minute. I do have a couple of things though. I wanna remind you. So if you can pull up the now and quote. We read this two weeks ago. Every time you listen with great attentiveness to the voice that calls you the beloved, you will discover within yourself a desire to hear that voice longer and more deeply. It's like discovering a well in the desert. Once you have touched wet ground, you want to dig deeper. That's beautiful. Then I want to just throw at you a few words that are going to come up here and there in the next few months that you probably need to be aware of. Spiritual formation. So this is a big one because it's one of our tenets and it's I think broader than, than discipleship even, you'll hear in a second, but spiritual formation is the tradition of Jesus Christ in the process of transforming of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit or will, it is being formed, really transformed in such a way that its natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. It's Dallas Willard's version of that. Christian community. Christian community exists when believers connect with each other in authentic and loving ways that encourage growth in Christ. They engage in transparent relationships that cultivate, celebrate, and make evident Christ's love to the world. Discipling. Discipling is the process of equipping, training, and encouraging one another and his or her apprenticeship to Jesus. It means journeying with and helping another to grow in knowledge as well in the virtues the character of Christ. Oh, there's more. Small groups. Small groups intentionally connect people by regularly gathering them together to worship God, fellowship, help one another grow, and practice doing his will. Spiritual friendships. This is one people are like, what do you say spiritual, what do you mean? Is this like a person that's a Christian that I'm just friends with? This is deeper than that. Spiritual friendship involves cultivating a covenant friendship where I can naturally share about my life with God. It is grounded in relationship to God and a commitment to support, encourage, and pray for one another. This is the, I'm sticking with you, friend, in Christ. Equipping the saints. A process, a process of spiritual adjusting that results in a saint's preparedness to be used by God. A saint is not defined as someone who is perfect, thank you, Jesus, but rather someone who is open and willing to be used by God. I think that's all for now, right? We're gonna continue this list as we travel so that you just have a better understanding. Now we're gonna read Mark 1, 9 through 15. If you wanna open it, you can. You can follow along with me. So this passage is, and this story is where Lent is taken from. This is what it's built around. And so you've, you've all heard this before. We've actually spent a ton of time in this kind of thought in the past couple years, especially the deserts, especially what happens in the deserts and what, what happens in scripture in the deserts. This isn't the first time Deserts are mentioned in scripture. We see the children of Israel being led out of captivity and brought into the desert and their struggle almost instantly. So much so that when they, were in, when they were there, they decided it would probably be better to go back into captivity because at least there was certainty about what they were captive to there. Because they started to bump into this space of recognizing that the tentacles of what they were a part of have now dissolved, but what's there is the real them. Are they dependent on themselves or are they dependent on God? And they had to struggle with that and their struggle led to, we would rather be back. We'd rather just be captive. And it's eerie how much that relates to our lives. We would rather just be captive. To what? To anything that takes the place of Christ as prominent as the, the, as the source, right? And so, here we go. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. I have not, I've said like 15 wrong words today. So Jesus cleanse my um, English language right now. Allow me to speak words that are eloquent and beautiful. No more mistakes. Just kidding. It's probably coming right now. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. We've already talked about this. And just as he was coming up out of the water, picture this, 
He saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending, some texts call it dive bombing, like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are the son, the beloved. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And the spirit, (laughs) no pause, no praise break. You are my son, the beloved, who I'm well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. What? He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. Tempted by who? We don't like to talk about Satan in church anymore. I get it. I mean, it's not necessarily the funnest conversation. But. And he was with the wild beast and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. So we see this passage start, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that what draws Jesus to be baptized by another man, Jesus shows up and stands in a line. Get this picture in your head. We talked about this. He stands in a line and waits to be baptized. He didn't walk to the front and say, I don't know if you guys know this yet, but I'm Jesus. He stands in a line, he waits to be baptized. He's baptized in humility. He starts his ministry by submitting. In the presence of people, he's God. Goes underwater, comes back up out of water. And there's this moment that happens. Jesus is instantly in this space where he senses this unique identity and affirmation. He's just heard what all of us have strived to hear our whole lives. You are beloved, you are my son, I am pleased with you. Just that portion. What would we do if we got that? How many of us live in that full awareness? Jesus has just received his identity. And Jesus is led immediately into the desert. So it's as if the Holy Spirit comes out of the water. You're my son. You're my beloved. Here's your identity. You don't have to strive for this. This is here. I'm, I'm doing this so that you know this is who you are. Now, the Holy Spirit, now you're gonna follow me into the desert because your start will not be 40 days from now where you start doing ministry. Your start will be in deeper waters. Jesus is led into the wilderness for a spiritual struggle. (laughs) Nobody teaches this. Like this is not a part of our self-help Christian books that when we receive the affirmation of who we are, that we are led into a spiritual struggle. That doesn't even make sense. In fact, I think a lot of people have checked out of Christianity in this spot and they're exactly where they should be. Wait, I just received Jesus. I've just done the 10-step thing at the church I was a part of. I know that I'm loved by God. Why am I struggling, right? I've received this new life in Christ. See, when you leave captivity, and I can relate this because as an addict in my life, which I have been, I know what it's like to stop what it means to, to receive some type of payment from some type of addiction and then have to come off of that addiction and what happens to the human body is the same thing that happens to us spiritually when we say yes to Jesus and we travel away from those things that we're connected to. It feels like you're having to drown the things that are following you. And it feels that strong, like why, why have I received this? And why am I now in such struggle? And it being led by the Spirit of God would almost feel blasphemous for some of us. That God would lead us into a place where we're alone, right? And think about what happens here with Jesus. These are things for him that come up again in his ministry. Jesus has to let let God speak into this before he's used in all of these ways. And you see him, after he leaves the desert, travel back into these spaces when he needs more of God. Something's about to happen, he slips away, alone, right? But he's not unfriended this aloneness at this time. He doesn't understand what to do necessarily. He seeks the Father and does only what the Father says. This was built in him, right? This was built in him as the Spirit of God signified who he was and then led him out to have a spiritual struggle. We can't avoid the spiritual struggle and we shouldn't because the Spirit of God comes alive in these places. Yes, we're going towards Easter, And God is fully alive, but he's teaching us such important messages. What will show up if you decide you want to find the voice of God, right? 
What wild beasts do we have that are just waiting for that moment where you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm taking this seriously. This half-dead life I've been living is absolutely not significant enough. This thing I'm going after that is not giving me anything is not enough. As soon as you step into that place, what is going to surface for you, right? We teach some content built around the levels of sin, which I don't even wanna get into other than there's a degree in which sins surface and then are cleansed within us and it's usually the outward things first. That's what you hear testimony about. And then it travels deeper and deeper and deeper and at that bottom level are trust structures and they're things like that seem almost good that we have our hopes in that when God starts to work and the Holy Spirit starts to build those things and starts to surface those things, it almost feels confusing because those are the true things that are needing to be cleansed. We stop a lot of times at that first layer because it sounds good to say, I, you know, I was a drinker and now I'm not a drinker or I was a this and now I'm not a this. And it sounds good to stand up and give that testimony, but nobody stands up and says the testimony of the deeper things, right? The things that are motivating all of those things. And that's where the spirit of God is trying to work. And when we go to these spaces with him, he can cleanse those things and give us the clarity. And so it's interesting that he retraces the steps of Israel and where Israel failed. See, Israel traveled. They prayed that God would lead them out. As soon as they got where they needed to trust God even more, they decided we'd go back. It was either human greatness, human strength, human comfort, or it would be trust God and the voice of God, which is leading you to something much better. Jesus comes back and he rewrites the story by walking through it the way it should have been walked through. He cleanses the narrative. And he also paints a picture for how we step into the narrative. We don't step into this walk thinking that it's all resurrection all the time and we get whatever we want. Because I can promise you whatever you want is not the heart of God all the time. Because God would leave Jesus into the desert to be tested by Satan so that he could hear the voice of God for ministry in the future. Because his ministry wouldn't be about himself, it would be about us. And if you need to be taken into the desert to make your ministry or your call or your bank account or your family not about you and about Jesus, it's time to head into the desert. Because you will make it about you. And until you travel through the wilderness experience, your whole life is lived about you. That is the life that we embody before Christ. So when I read you Ephesians chapter two in a second, and it talks about the old life and the new life, and there's some scary language, right? This is all based around one concept. It's either about him or about you. It's either about him or about you. We said it last week, the most selfish moment you should remember in your life is right before you receive Jesus. And every moment from there, you're traveling farther away from that to where by the time you're a fully developed disciple, people don't notice how prophetic you are or how good of a speaker or worship leader you are. They recognize the humility and the grace of God that comes through you for Jesus. And that's more appealing than any gift. Any day, you could give me 15 preachers that are polished or one person you've never met that is drenched in the love of God, that is not selfish, that cares for people, I would choose that person every day. And so would you. But that gift has to be cleansed, right? That desert experience that we avoid is the reason why so many people in ministry fail. It's the reason why we're hearing stories today about people in ministry failing. Because at some spot in their walk, they believed it was about something that had to do with their greatness, and it never was intended for that. God will do whatever to cleanse that if we're available and open. And that's what I believe he's leading the body of Christ into. Not a desert season because he's sadistic. Sadistic, he's not sadistic. His love permeates so much broader and deeper than anything we can even fathom. But it doesn't look like us getting what we want all the time. So if there's theologies that have to be cleansed within us that tell us when you pray, you get whatever you want, we repent fully of that. And we say we want the cruciform life that's full of resurrection, alive in Christ. Because that's the only way, right? He is led by the Spirit of God into the desert and then towards crucifixion and resurrection. He's led in his process. He's led to a cross. But somehow we believe that we don't have to do that. Somehow in our Christian formation we believe Christ died for us, we don't die. 
we get what we want. That's just us getting more of our American dream. This is not the gospel, right? This feels like a heavy message. When I started, I was like, this is gonna be a super fun message to preach. Now I'm looking around, I'm like, nope. It's the opposite of that. Literally, I was like, I can't wait to talk about this. And there's a heaviness in this room, right? And jokes aside, the heaviness is real. And that's important to note, right? Don't go drown someone. This is such a bad analogy. (laughs) If I hear Bill laughing, how hard is it to drown someone? That's what this conversation is like. That inner thing does not want to die. And it will even tell you, no, 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 that's not, that's not the Christ life. That, what he talked about today, that's not it. Or you get what you want. You're the head, not the tail. Hallelujah. You're gonna get your blessing every, every day. Every day blessing. But no struggle. What if struggle is the invitation you've been praying for? What if struggle is not an indictment about who you are? What if it's the exact thing that you've been seeking God about? Jesus is led into a spiritual struggle. And because of that, he hears the voice of God. He clarifies the voice that is not God, the enemy, which is real. He's not pretending like that's not a not real thing. He's aware of it. He also recognizes his calling is not about himself, and it's about the world he came to die for. What if struggle right now is the answer to the prayer. You're like, that, that theologically is wrong. You just said that in your head to me. I mean, I mean <laughs> Lent's not just a fun thing to do. It's trendy now in churches. It's one of those trends to me that's like, I'm at least glad that we're trending into something deeper instead of just like smoke screens and like theaters full of like pizzazz. Like this is a trend I'm like thankful it's trendy because it actually is leading to the heart of God. And this is how we travel into the heart of God, right? So pull up Ephesians. I don't even know where I'm at. I will say this, that when I was 17, I was put on a plane by my family and sent to Utah for a different kind of retreat. I've talked about it before, but it was a rehabilitation for drug addiction. And we got there. I got off a plane and um, children in the room, amen. See ya, see ya, see ya. Um, I got there and they took me to a warehouse where they had me become naked. That was super fun. They checked pretty much everything you can check. And then they gave me a blue tarp that was about as big as this rug, a seatbelt, not attached to a car because that would have been harder to carry for sure. And then they, they let me choose a collection of things to take. So I took underwear extra socks because in the desert it's like 85 in the day and like negative 85 at night. I took a water bottle. Um, I had carved a spoon because you had to carve whatever you would eat with. <laughs> Mine was pretty good. It wasn't a competition, but I think I, think I won. <laughs> and then you had to figure out as you travel into this what is truly needed. So I hated it then because when I was there, I remember thinking, I mean, I thought, can I just be so honest? No, I can't be. My two kids are back there too. They're, all, they're like perked up now. They're like, wait. I remember because of some of the decision I made, decisions I made as a teenager, I was horrified that I, there was possibly some things I'd have to pay for. Um, can't say that. <laughs> I can't say that any other way than I was scared. And when I was there, I was away from anything that would sedate me. Even though we thought we found peyote, we didn't. It wasn't peyote. And we carved something to try and do something with that, and it didn't, it made us sick. But I remember having to deal with this insatiable feeling that I was missing something here. I was, I had, I mean, it was like, almost like the feeling of terror, that I was missing something here, but when I was here, I was drug addicted. I was, who knew where I was? Like, I was just all over. And I remember, but the feeling was like, oh, I'm missing something so important. I was missing nothing. I was missing absolutely nothing. If there's a time from my year one to 20 that I think about more than any, it's the time I was there and I wish I could go back. We hiked 200 miles across Utah, over mountains and valleys. I had animals run over our sleeping bags. We didn't sleep in tents. We slept in sleeping bags in the middle of the ground in a desert. 
And I remember thinking, this is so simple. It's the kind of life I like seek after now. My favorite spaces are outside in nature by myself. I would drive across the country and stay in the woods by myself for weeks and love it, right? What, what we take with us into life, what is needed, what is not? What do we need to detach from? What is sedating us and keeping us? These are important things to be able to recognize as you walk with Christ, that he is leading us into these spaces. If you can pull up Ephesians, I'm gonna read this quickly and then we're gonna pull it to a close. Now this is a chapter we wanna stay in because we feel like this is what God is speaking to our body right now, this whole, this whole book. So you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. And all of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of the flesh and the senses, and we were by nature children of wrath like anyone else and everyone else. But God, everybody say, but God. But God. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen. I thought about naming this that, but I was like, yeah, there's probably been like 48 sermons named But God. Who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are made, for we are what he has, okay, we're gonna start over right there. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. So I'll just kind of wrap it up with this idea. These th the three things mentioned here, the two things specifically, sin and Satan, that are talked about in Ephesians are this before life. Is, I think if you were to step back and just talk about a broader picture of what this before life looked like, it's a life that is overrun by our ego and self-focus. So much so that those two things put us in a state that feels dead. So it's this life that has you going after things for you to make you better because you're told you should be better. So it's not necessarily these ethereal things as much as it's just the thought that there are forces that are much stronger at play that are leading you to be manipulated, sedated, and focused on you because if that can happen, you can live in the old life. That is the way. But God, in this new life, did not intend for us to live this way, did not ask us to live this way, and in fact modeled what it was like to transition from the old to the new by defeating self and modeling what it looks like to live the cruciform life. So Christ leads us to the greater things. And he awakens, oh, this is what I want you guys to get. He awakens, yes. He identifies, yes. He affirms, yes, but that's not the end. And if that's the end, it's not enough. He says those things at the beginning to Jesus. He says those things to you. We spend years of our Christian lives looking for those things. That's done. It's not up in the air. It's not a conversation to be had. That is done for you right now. The question is, will you live into them in a way that allows you to truly believe it? Will you do that? Will you create space for the voice of God to say to you, you are my beloved? I just mic dropped, I didn't mean to. That's what happens when you're... So this desert experience for him was the way, right? He heard all the things you can hear without the desert experience. He heard all the things without the struggle. 
He heard all the things and they were real. You've heard all the things. Maybe you haven't believed them. Will you let the Spirit of God lead you into believing them? He's, he's at work, not you. You create space. If you cannot create space to be with Jesus, you cannot hear this. That's where it feels like legalism. That's where it feels like, well, you're telling me I've got to work for it. No, I'm saying you have to work so hard because the world around you is working hard to make you not believe it. If you hurry and do more, you'll be better. If you accomplish this, you'll get a raise. If you could just crank out a little more ministry, people will see you. That's not the goal. If you have to disappoint every person in your life to create space with Jesus and deplete your bank account and not have the things, it's worth it. Don't hear me say it's time to sit on your couch and be a potato and never do anything again until everybody, Jesus loves me, it's not about that, because he created you for good works. And the good works come through being led into places where he is leading you to be developed and creating space for him to speak so you understand how Yahweh speaks through the spirit of God. This is so important. Let's not be sedated any longer. Let's show what it looks like to be the body of Christ. So that, somebody said this to me recently. I can't remember who it was. Oh, I was listening to John Mark Comer. He didn't say it to me. I was listening to him. And he made this decision he wasn't gonna hurry. So he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which I already told you I wanted to find the quicker version of it to read, which is hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. That was my goal. But he, two months, I think, he was like, I'm not hurrying anywhere. And people would ask him, are, are, you, you, know, are you busy? We kind of assume that. How you doing, Alita? Kind of busy, right? We just assume it because we know that we are that. When we see someone slow down enough to be with Jesus, it looks weird. The rhythm of a peaceful person is painfully obvious. When someone approaches our lives and they're at peace and not at odds with life and they're present, when someone is present and asks you questions, it's horrifying because they are not in agreement with the quickness of the pace that you would like to crank through conversations. When someone really cares, Luke, what's going on with you, man? And it's not like, oh, I'm doing all right. Transition jobs. Cool, man, I'll be praying for you. When someone really is present, it is blatantly obvious. We don't become that without the Spirit of God leading us into spaces to cleanse us from the things we think it means to be. If I've been confusing for you today, I am really sorry. I trust that the Spirit of God is leading you into a deeper space. And I am happy to have conversations about what that would look like. Close your eyes with me really quick. There's a word picture in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through 10. And there's a traveling from death to life. And then it makes this really strange move beyond life to seated with Christ. So I want you to picture in your mind's eye, what did the you that was sedated and overcome with self look like? Find a space in your life. What does that look like even now? And now by the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, would you allow us to see what this version to be alive looks like? I already know what it looks like. It looks like peace and joy and righteousness and love. It looks like Yes, Father, I'll go wherever. What does this version of you look like that is alive in Christ? <laughs> and then by the Spirit's power only can we even imagine this. To be seated in the heavenly realms, to be seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. Can you guys hear me? Give you a moment to get it back on. Is it possible to get back on, Mike? to be seated with Christ. Now picture what happens when you're seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. I can tell you those systems and structures of the world 
that were at play, even the forces, the satanic ones, they're submissive to this seating. They have to submit. That's why I think we're seated next to Christ because in this scenario, we have authority over those things. You've been given authority by your connection with Christ to say to those rulers and principalities that they have no more authority. So this isn't whether or not you can convince yourself into that spot. This is that spot. It's you telling those, no, I am the chosen. Yes, I am affirmed by God. Yes, I'm called into ministry or whatever. But even more than that, I'm seated with Christ right now. So I'm going to pull these questions back up. I'm going to pull these questions back up. I want you guys to just pray into them just for a moment. And then we'll close in a few moments. take these with you this week and step into these conversations more deeply. If you'd like prayer today, we can pray for you up here. If I could utterly shake you so that you would believe that you are the beloved and that it's settled, I would. But the Spirit of God is better at that. So I'll allow Him. I'm very thankful for all of you. Um, continue to pray for the needs of our body excited to walk into this next season with you. Take some time if you need. If you're going to stay in here, let's keep it prayerful. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.